Go to Acts chapter 9. And uh, this morning <clears throat> we'll be studying verses 10 through 22. I uh, want to read, I want you all to stand and read with me down through verse 16 for our morning reading. So if you will, please stand. And uh, again, read with me aloud, verses uh, 10 through 16. Let's read together and read aloud. Acts 9, verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Shall we pray? Father, this morning we are thankful and blessed to have before us your word. We ask, Lord, that you would grant us wisdom and understanding through the power of your Holy Spirit. That in the things that we read and the things that we learn today, Lord God, will be things that we will be able to apply directly to our lives. So that we would live, Lord God, as those vessels chosen by you to accomplish those things that you desire to accomplish, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Y'all may be seated. I have to, first of all, thank you all for being here on this cold, cold morning. I would love to, you know, have every seat taken. That way we'll be a little warmer. Uh, but uh, I know how it is here in, in the city. You know, we see one snowflake and we wonder. We see two snowflakes and we decide. Okay. Well, in a Peanuts comic strip, there was a conversation between Lucy and Charlie Brown. Lucy said that life is like a deck chair. You all know what a deck chair is. Foldable type of a chair, you know. Take out to your deck if you have one. Well, Lucy said that life is like a deck chair. Some place it so they can see where they are going. Some place it so they can see where they have been. And some place it so they can see where they are at present. Charlie Brown's reply... I can't even get mine unfolded. (laughs) It's like a lot of us, isn't it? (laughs) 
Well, in the passage we're studying today, a simple, quiet, an unsung believer named Ananias is sent by God to help Saul unfold his deck chair. You remember that after Saul's encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus, that he became physically blind to the extent that his companions led him into the city of Damascus by the hand, and, and he would be this way now for three days. Now, there is something significant in verse 9 that we don't want to miss, so I ask you to look at verse 9 in your text here in Acts chapter 9, verse 9, in your Bibles. And it says, And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, this particular verse is describing for us that the once proud and confident Pharisee Saul, having been humbled by the Lord Jesus himself, is now in fasting and prayer. Fasting because he ate, or he neither ate nor drank for those three days. We read in verse 11, as we did in our reading, that he was praying. Blind physically, but receiving fullness of sight spiritually. And we know this within the context of our passage Today, enter Ananias. Here is a man that that I hope will encourage each and every one of you today, especially those who think your Christian life undistinguished. Those of you that may think that your life as a Christian may not amount to a whole lot because you don't have a whole lot of career highlights, as it were, as a Christian. You might think of yourself as the Bob Euchre of Christianity. How many of you know who Bob Euchre is? Remember him? Played baseball. Wasn't very good. Actually became a commentator later on and stuff. But he said his greatest highlight was actually walking in a run at at a preseason game. That's not a big highlight, is it? For those of you who understand baseball, preseason games aren't important. But that was his biggest highlight. And sometimes we think of ourselves as Bob Euchers in the, in, the, in the Christian faith. We don't have many highlights in our life. So Ananias is going to be one that actually encourages us about our lives as believers. Because in verse 10 of our text, it says, Now there was a certain disciple. And I want you all, if you've got your Bibles and you have your markers and whatever, I want you to mark that word certain. Because this is what ties us to him. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, the Lord knew his name. The Lord knew where he was. The Lord spoke to him. And Ananias replied and he said, Here I am, Lord. Now here was a man that we really know nothing about except that that he was a disciple, which means that was a term used for believers in Jesus Christ at that time. They weren't called Christians then. We see that in chapter 11. But he was a disciple, which was a term that was used to call believers at that time. But you'll notice that he was a certain disciple. And that's why I said, mark that word certain. He was a certain disciple. Because that word in this context means that Ananias was one among some or any 
that Jesus could have chosen. The way that that word is used in the Greek language means that Ananias was one among some or any that Jesus could have chosen. You all understand that? He was one of some or any that Jesus could have... He was a certain disciple. You see, we're certain disciples here today. You're a certain disciple if you love Jesus. You're one among some or any that the Lord can choose. And the idea is that the Lord could have chosen any number of disciples at Damascus. There obviously were many at His disposal. Many of the Christians had left Jerusalem and gone to Damascus. It was a large... Of course, there were many synagogues, as we said before. But there were a lot of places where the believers in Jesus Christ were already meeting there. That was the reason why Saul was going to Damascus. So he could round up the Christians and bring them back to uh, Jerusalem to put them on trial. So there, there obviously were many at, at, at Jesus' disposal, but for whatever reason, Jesus called upon Ananias. We don't have any resume for Ananias. Actually, in chapter 22, Paul, in, his, in giving his testimony, mentions Ananias as a, as a very respectable man and all. But um, the fact of the matter is, no major resume, no major thing that we know about this man Ananias, other than the fact that the Lord spoke to him, And Ananias said, Here I am, Lord. Now you may not think that you have a distinguished spiritual career with great highlights. But that's not the point. Each and every one of you who loves Jesus and who serves Jesus is a certain disciple. Each and every one of you is that certain disciple. If he chooses, couldn't the Lord call upon you? If the Lord chooses, couldn't He call upon any one of you who loves Jesus today? Now the question is this. Are you available to His calling? Are you available, as Ananias was, to the calling of Jesus? When Jesus called His name, Ananias said, Here I am, Lord. Are you available to His calling? Are you ready to say to the Lord's call, Here I am, Lord. You may go along in your daily walk, just walking with the Lord. You know, just being, being a, an example to your family, being, being an example to your home, being an example where you work. No great major career highlights as a Christian. And then one day God will speak to your heart. Will you be ready to say, here I am, Lord. Now Ananias, whose name means, whom the Lord has graciously given... Or, he whom God has favored, as it were. That is what the name Hananiah means. Or Ananias. Hananiah, we we found that name in in the book of Daniel. (coughs) It was one of the three Hebrew children. Would later have his name changed to Shadrach. But uh, his name means whom God favors. Or who comes with the favor of God. Ananias actually was the third man so far with this name here in the book of Acts. We know there was a wicked high priest named Ananias. And then there was the man in the Jerusalem church that died from his lies to the Holy Spirit, along with his wife Sapphira. His name was Ananias. And now, there is this man, Ananias, who was actually the first one to be worthy of his name, whom the Lord has graciously given. And it's interesting that the Lord graciously gave Ananias... To Saul. 
And this is how we need to see ourselves, as, as those vessels of the Lord. You see, when we look at the title of this message today, A Chosen Vessel, we immediately go to Saul. And we should, because that's what God says, that's what the Lord says of Saul. That's what Jesus said to Ananias, he's my chosen vessel. But we oftentimes quickly overlook Ananias, who was also a chosen vessel of the Lord. No great resume, just a willing vessel, ready to be obedient. And he would, by his very name, he would be the means by which Saul would experience the grace and the favor of God. And so in verses 11 and 12, this is what the Lord says to Ananias. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Now remember that the Lord was speaking to Ananias in a vision. Now this is significant. Because visions were a common occurrence in the early church. We'll see later that Peter has a vision. And others may have vision. Paul was having a vision as Saul right now in, in this particular passage we're looking at. Saul was having a vision of a man named Ananias coming to him and laying hands on him. So visions were, were common occurrences in the early church. And Ananias had an expectation of the supernatural, and because of this, he was ready to say, Here I am, Lord. Now, even today, we need to have an expectation of the supernatural. We need to have an expectation of the supernatural, and why not? The Lord is still speaking today. Would you not agree with me? Is the Lord not speaking to you when you have your Bible open? And certainly that is the most important way that God speaks to us, is that He speaks to us through His Word and through the power of the Holy Spirit, and He he speaks to us that way. So He's still speaking to us. It is still a supernatural thing that we begin to understand His Word when we didn't understand it before. Now as Christians we understand it even better. That's something that is done through the Holy Spirit. That is a supernatural thing. We have to have an expectation of the supernatural in the life that we live as believers today. The Lord is still using His people today, especially those who are willing to hear His voice. But I believe that that's the key here. Are you willing to hear the voice of God? Because there are too many people living the theoretical Christian life and not the practical Christian life. The theoretical Christian life is, I believe in God, but I don't trust in Him. I believe in God, but I don't trust in Him. I believe God can do things, but I don't trust that He'll do it with me. Or I don't trust that He'll do it through me. That is not the, 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 that is not the, the normal Christian life. That is not the basic Christian life. That is not the practical Christian life. The practical Christian life is saying, I believe that God is able to do things, and I'm trusting Him to do it. And if so, I trust Him to do it through me. If the Lord calls you to do something, do you not believe that He's going to supernaturally use you in some way? To lead someone to Christ? To bring someone to the knowledge of the truth? It's a supernatural work. 
Therefore, you know, some people are, are, are missing critical assignments today that the Lord has, has for them because they're not really experiencing Him to call. They're not really expecting Him to call. Well, God's not going to call me. I'm just Bob Euchre. <laughs> God's not going to call me. How do you know that? How did Ananias know? He didn't know. God called him. But Ananias was ready. Ananias not only believed in his mind, but he believed in his heart. And you see, we need to, uh, we need to develop that sense of hearing God's voice. Because certain people today are not developing any sense of hearing His voice or, or even following his, his leading in their lives. And this leads, of course, to a state of unbelief. Yes, in the church, there are many people who have a state of unbelief, even though they say they believe in the Lord. And this is what the writer of Hebrews makes very clear in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. I want you to turn there and I want you to mark it. I want you to look at it. Because the writer of Hebrews here is speaking directly to the church. He's not speaking to unbelievers. He's speaking to believers. And he says in verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. He calls them brethren, which means that they were brothers in Christ. He says, Beware. You know, there, there are not enough people today in the church bringing that awareness of certain dangers in the church. And so here he says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Please understand, Peter was one that said to Jesus at one point in time, he says, I'll never leave you. I'm not going to let them do anything to you. But who was Peter? He was the one who denied Jesus and denied Him three times. It goes on to say, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said, Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. If you were here on Thursday morning, you remember that passage because it comes from Psalm 95. That was our text on, on Thursday morning, Thanksgiving. Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. So you see, then it, it is an issue that we have to deal with. If we say we believe in the Lord, do you have an expectation of the supernatural? Do you have an expectation that God is going to use you no matter how you may see yourself, we all should see ourselves as humble servants before the Lord. doesn't matter who we are. doesn't matter what we drive. doesn't matter where we live. It doesn't matter even the notoriety that we may have in the quote-unquote uh, quote church. There are a lot of celebrities in the church today, but folks, if we truly serve the Lord, it doesn't matter who we are. God will use any of us. That's the very idea of, of this particular text here. And getting back to our text, we see that the Lord gave Ananias very detailed instructions in verses 11 and 12. He told him exactly where to go, and who to see, and who to look for. And then he tells him what to do. And that's a lot more information than what the Lord usually gives us, isn't it? But it is important to note that He will give as much or as little information as is necessary. And remember, there is always that issue of faith and trust. 
The reason why a lot of times the Lord doesn't give us a whole lot of information is because He wants us to trust Him. If He says, go, you go. Abraham was told to, to leave his, his home and his, and, his, and his family in Ur of the Chaldees. But he didn't tell him where to go. He just said, go. And in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that, that Abraham didn't even know where he was going. But he went because he was obedient to the Lord. God guided him. God took him where he wanted him to go. So it's an issue of faith and trust. In this particular case, God wanted Ananias to know exactly where he was going, exactly who to see, exactly who to find. And it is significant that the Lord mentions a vision within a vision. In Ananias' vision, he mentions that Saul is having a vision of a man named Ananias coming to him and laying his hands on him, as we see there in verse 12. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And we're going to see that he receives a whole lot more than just his sight. But here was a vision within a vision. And in that vision, Saul is praying. Saul is praying. Now I'm going to say something that I want to wake you up with. Even though you all look pretty much awake today. But it is believed that Saul never truly prayed. Did it shock anybody? All right. Let me say it again. It is believed that Saul never truly prayed. Do I have your attention now? May I explain it to you? That statement. In his religious upbringing, as a good religious Jew... In his religious upbringing, he was taught to repeat formal prayers. He was taught to repeat formal prayers. The prayers were all laid out for him. It's that way for many Jews today still, in their various synagogues. Prayers are all written out. That should remind us also that too many people today say many prayers but never truly pray. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to just read prayers. I, I have a book uh, of prayers that were, that were spoken by men like Charles Spurgeon. Prayed from the very depths of his heart and people wrote them down. And, and, and it's, they're great books to see the heart of a man who loved God and served God and, and see how he called out to God. It's, it's always good to read those prayers. But if it's a matter of praying prayers from a book rather than praying from your heart, then you may never truly be praying at all. But here it says Saul is praying. And this was a different experience than what he was used to before. Now he was praying from his heart. He was blind and couldn't, couldn't read the prayers. So he had to pray from his heart. He was fasting. He was waiting upon God three days. Kind of sounds significant. Three days, waiting, blind, can't see, like in a tomb waiting for his eyes to be open, yet experiencing something that he never experienced before. Because now he was praying with Jesus as his mediator. Do we pray with Jesus as our mediator? 
Do we pray in the name of Jesus? Do we pray in Jesus' name? This may be what Saul was was newly experiencing in his life. Saul was experiencing something totally different now in his praying. The true presence of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. The true presence of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. As Paul, he would later write this in Romans chapter 8 verse 9. He would say, But you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Paul could write this out of pure experience. And that in, in, in one part of his life, he, he would pray prayers that were formal prayers, that were written prayers, but it wasn't from his heart. He'd be the first one to tell you. Because God wasn't in his heart. The Spirit wasn't there. But now, he would understand that when you're not in the flesh, but if you're in the Spirit, it's because the, God, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, it's not his. He was talking of himself. He was putting himself in that very picture. I wasn't God's, even though I thought I was God's servant. But some, there was a new dynamic in Saul's life. It was the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in the next portion of the text here, Ananias responds to the Lord with what some people would label as, as statements of doubt and fear. Others even believe that he was not even anxious to obey the Lord. Well, we don't know about that, but but let's read what it says in verse 13. The Lord spoke to Ananias, told him to go, to find Saul, to lay hands on him, right? And this is what he says. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Now, I don't actually read in there that he's, he's really not anxious to obey the Lord. But he is showing some concern. Now, this could have been a simple request for clarification. In other words, Lord, are you talking about the Saul? Are this, is this a, the Saul you're talking about? You know, the one that uh, <laughs> has done much harm to your saints? <laughs> your saints in Jerusalem? The one that has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name? I call on your name, Lord! And by the way, why did you mention my name, Ananias, to Saul? (laughs) I'm sending a man named Ananias. Am I the right Ananias, Lord? (laughs) He might have just wanted clarification, but it could have been doubt and fear. It could have been doubt and fear, and if so, that's encouraging as well. I've got to tell you, it is encouraging that if, if Ananias had any doubts and fears... That you understand what he's doing. He's laying those doubts and fears before the Lord. As we all ought to do. We ought never to be afraid to lay down our doubts and fears before God. Because He already knows that they're there anyway. You see, the Lord knows all about and understands our doubts and our fears. And so we can speak to Him about them at any time. I love what David writes in in Psalm 34 verse 4. David says, I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered, free, delivered me from all my fears. Now, isn't that a great pattern to live? I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. I sought the Lord with my fears, with my doubts. He heard me and He delivered me. That's a good pattern to live. 
We all will have doubts. We all will have fears. We all will have concerns. We all will have those times when we can't understand or we can't see clearly the things that are before us. I sought the Lord. He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. So isn't it a wonderful and encouraging thing that Ananias was not afraid to lay those things down before the Lord? Let's not be afraid to do the same. Now, with those doubts and fears, what does the Lord say then to Ananias? Does He say to him, Oh, listen, Ananias, I'm sorry that you have those doubts and fears. Let me look for somebody else. No. He says in verse 15, The Lord said to him, Go. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? He had doubts and fears, if, if, if that's what they were. And the Lord still said, Go. I've chosen you. You're my chosen vessel. You go. For he, Saul, is a chosen vessel of mine too. He's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, before kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Aren't you glad that Ananias didn't come out with more excuses? Excuses are, are, are something, you know, that... Uh, we're pretty rich with excuses in the church today. I don't know what it is. We should have master's degrees in, in excuses. Some people may have doctorates in excuses. Could you imagine if Ananias had said, Oh Lord, I got to, uh, you, you, I've got to excuse myself from this particular assignment that you're giving me because I've got uh, something else to do. <laughs> Aren't you glad that Ananias didn't come up with all of his excuses? He, he gave his concerns, but not excuses. I tell you what, I, I read this the other day and I've got to share it with you because it, it, it's, uh, it, it's about a church that decided that it was going to have a No Excuses Sunday. No Excuses Sunday. So listen carefully to what they said and what they wrote. To make it possible for everyone to attend church next Sunday, we are going to have a special No Excuse Sunday. Cots will be placed in the lobby for those who say, Sunday is my only day to sleep in. Murin will be available for those with tired eyes from watching television too late on Saturday night. We will have steel helmets for those who say the roof would cave in if I ever came to church. Blankets will be provided for those who think the church is too cold. And fans for those who think the church is too hot. We will have hearing aids for those who say the pastor speaks too softly. And cotton for those who say he preaches too loudly. Scorecards will be available for those who wish to list the hypocrites present. Some relatives will be in attendance for those who like to go visiting on Sunday. There will be 100 TV dinners for those who cannot go to church and cook dinner also. One section will be devoted to trees and grass for those who like to see God in nature. Finally... The gym will be decorated with both Christmas poinsettias and Easter lilies for those who have never seen the church without them. No excuse Sunday. Shall we do that next week? <laughs> oh. Excuses. Excuses. Funny, but not so funny. 
I'm thankful that Ananias had no excuses. He just had a heart that said, Lord, here's my concern. And the Lord says, it's okay, go ahead anyway. Because he's my chosen vessel too. Saul's my vessel. You know that verse 15 serves as a great summary of the Apostle Paul's life and ministry. Verse 15. He is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And I can tell you this, it was certainly all of grace. It was all of grace. Since Saul did not choose God, it was the Lord who chose him. What was Saul going to Damascus for? He was going to go and, 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 and gather together all these believers and bring them back to Jerusalem to try them for believing in Jesus. He had been breathing threats and hatreds and murders. And on the road to Damascus, he meets Jesus. Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard to kick against the goads. It was all of grace. Jesus had to meet Saul himself. And Saul understood that when he gives his testimony to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 verses 12 to 16. And he says to him, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he has counted me faithful, or because he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And notice verse 14. Beautiful verse. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. What a testimony. Paul was God's chosen vessel. And he says this to Timothy again in his second letter, in 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 and 21, when he writes to him, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, and some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. And I have to believe that, that Saul, in writing to Timothy in this particular passage, is, is thinking of his own preparation that the Lord placed upon him on the road to Damascus, in the house of Judas in Damascus, in waiting three days, in, in fasting and praying. That here was one who had cleansed himself from the, being a, a vessel of dishonor. Now becoming a vessel of honor and saying, I'm useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. But does that not also describe Ananias? Does that not also describe somebody who was just 
humble before the Lord and when the Lord called him by name, he said, here I am. And not only does the Lord tell him to go, but he goes. It's the same thing here. Ananias was a vessel of honor. Prepared. Sanctified and useful for the Master. Prepared for every good work. And the Lord would work in and through Paul the same way to accomplish His purposes. Ephesians 2 verse 10, Paul says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And again, you have to put yourself in Paul's heart and see that he's describing himself in the midst of this. God's prepared me for every good work. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. In other words, exercise your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Every statement that Paul makes of that nature, it it, it has this very beginning of his life, of his new life in Christ, of being one that God had taken and cleansed and changed and made useful for the Master's work. And Ananias had a great part in that because of his obedience. You see, God had a call for Saul's life. And Saul wasn't even the first to know that. You know who was? Ananias. Ananias was. The Lord considered Saul his chosen vessel long before there appeared anything worthy in Saul to choose. I mean, people were still leery of Saul. We'll see that next time. But isn't it great to know that the Lord always knows what He can make of us? I think it's just great to know that. It's great to know that the Lord always knows what He can make of us. And what He wants to make of us. Even when we have yet to know. Saul didn't know. But Ananias did. Because he told him. He's my chosen vessel to bear my name before Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel. You go lay hands on him. You be obedient. And one thing that the Lord knew about Saul's calling was that he was going to leave a life of privilege to embrace the higher call that will have much suffering. As the Apostle, Paul would give this promise in Philippians 1.29 and he lived it most of his life. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him but also to suffer for His sake. Paul knew that. Paul was well aware that that is what a Christian life is to be. Certainly one of, of blessing, but one also of suffering. Another apostle, Peter, would write that we shouldn't be surprised with suffering. He writes in 1 Peter 4, verses 12-16, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 
On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if any, any suffers, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory, glorify God in this manner. So you see how Peter writes about the fact that we ought not to be surprised. Suffering is going to be a part of the Christian life. And so Ananias just simply obeyed the Lord and he found Saul. He simply obeyed the Lord. And he found Saul. Look at verse 17 now of our text. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you, might, that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the way that God opens our eyes to the wondrous things of, of, of God, the wondrous things of his kingdom? That before we come to know Christ, we're blind. And whatever it is that God has to remove it, and sometimes there's a lot of stuff there. The world does a lot to put things in our eyes that keeps us from seeing the truth. Many of us may have been there at one time. We laughed, we mocked at the things of God. But then when God opened our eyes enough to see the truth, our hearts were broken, but our eyes were healed. And we arose. We received the Lord. We followed him in baptism. And this is what we see in the life of Paul. So when he had received food, verse 19, so when he had received food, he was strengthened. And then Saul spent many days, or some days, I should say, with the disciples at Damascus. So Ananias lost no time in getting to the house of Judas. In other words, immediately, as soon as the Lord sent him, he said, Go. Ananias went. And he got to the house of Judas and he ministered to Saul. The very fact that he calls Saul brother. And I think this is a beautiful moment, a beautiful statement in the life of Saul. Saul, you see, was, was at, the, at the brink of becoming an enemy of many people. His own people. By receiving Jesus Christ. By accepting the truth of Jesus Christ being risen from the dead. There will be a lot of people hating Saul, wanting Saul to be killed, as you'll see in just a moment. Oh, you can read on and see it. Isn't it comforting to have someone say, Saul, you're my brother. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled. The very fact that he calls Saul brother had to have brought joy to the blind Pharisee. You see, the necessary ordeal that he had been going through was now bringing forth spiritual blessings. Saul could, could hear Ananias' voice and feel his hands, but more importantly, he had to have sensed the power of the Holy Spirit as his eyes were opened and real scales fell from them. 
You know, at the start of this chapter, Saul was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. But now he ends up becoming a disciple himself. Now he ends up being a disciple and being baptized as well as being filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you notice that when, when Ananias spoke to, to Saul, he, he said more than even what Jesus had told him. Yet we believe that, uh, that he went under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He said, that He has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yet what Jesus sent him to do was what? Lay hands on him. Well, that's part of giving the Holy Spirit. Bringing it about. If Ananias knew that he was going to preach to Gentiles, to kings, and to the children of Israel, he wasn't going to do it without the Holy Spirit. It was something that was a part of the early church. It's something that needs to be a part of the, of the church today. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure that that was not what he expected when he set out. In other words, Saul. It wasn't what he expected when he set out uh, from Jerusalem to Damascus. That one day he'd be sitting in the house of a man named Judas, blind, and all he could do was pray and fast until Ananias showed up and the scales fell from his eyes and received the power of the Holy Spirit. Unexpected. How many of you expected to be serving the Lord? Days, weeks, months, maybe even years before you came to Christ. Never expected it. Never expected that you spent your Sunday mornings in church or your Wednesday night in church or doing all kinds of things during the week or serving in children's ministry or serving here or serving there. But you never expected it. Of course you didn't. It's how wonderful it is to have the Lord change our hearts in serving Him. But here's an important pattern that we need to remember concerning conversion. Though we can look at the conversion of the Apostle Paul and, and yet see throughout all of his writings that much of these things that happen, happen to many of us. Let's look at some of these patterns or, or look at this, uh, this important pattern. First of all, Jesus must confront us with Himself, with our sin and rebellion committed against Him. Jesus must confront us with Himself. That's what he did with Paul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard to kick against the goats. Confronts us with our sin and our rebellion. And what does Saul do? Then he waits humbly. And, and, and we must wait humbly for his work within us that he alone can do in our hearts. Only God can change us. Only God can move to the point of making us new creatures in Christ. And this is what happened to Saul. Jesus confronted him with himself. Secondly, salvation is something God does in us. We only respond to his work in us. Salvation is something God does in us. Salvation was what God did in Saul's heart. He saved him. Thirdly, the Lord finds us even when we're not looking for him. Saul wasn't looking for the Lord. Many of us weren't looking for the Lord when we found him. But it wasn't that we found Him. He found us first. That's how God works. We didn't choose Him. He chose us. We didn't love Him first. He loved us first. It's the way God works with us. Fourthly, God uses others to cooperate in our conversions. God, God used 
Ananias and Judas, his home in Damascus, to bring Saul to faith in Jesus Christ. Think about the people that prayed for you to receive Jesus Christ. People were praying for you. People prayed for me. I didn't realize it until much later, but... So we're praying for you to receive Jesus. Really? I didn't know that. How God used so many people to bring us to Christ. It's still happening today. That's part of the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. God uses others to cooperate in our conversions. Lastly, God breaks us to fill us. God breaks us to fill us. Paul had to be broken from his pride, his insolence, his arrogance. I know that we had mentioned that Paul had not actually ridden a a horse, but the Lord did knock him off of his high horse. And he needed to. He humbled him. God humbles us to fill us. You see, the world wants to mend things. And somehow, you know, the way the world puts us together, it's, it's never right. But when God breaks us, He begins to mold us and shape us into the image of Christ. And, and it's in that condition, it's in that way that He is able to fill us with what we need and we're able to retain what God gives us. Even though we're earthen vessels and leaky vessels and sometimes we just need to be filled every day and that's okay because God says, I'm good for it, I'll fill you every day. And then verse 19, if you look at it for just a moment, verse 19 teaches us of the importance of food and fellowship. I like that verse. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. And then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. You see, Saul was strengthened by food physically. And then he was strengthened by fellowship spiritually. Strengthened by fellowship. Spending days with the disciples. It's never a good thing to say, I can worship God my own way. You remember No Excuse Sunday? The ones who like to commune with nature. I'll just, I'll just go out here and uh, just me and the birds and the trees. No. Fellowship is necessary. We ought not to neglect the, the fellowship of believers. It's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. We're to gather together and worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And Saul was having fellowship for the first time. True fellowship. In the love of Christ. Lastly, true conversion brings true confession. True conversion brings true confession. Look at verses 20 through 22. Immediately he preached the Christ. In other words, he preached the Messiah in the synagogues. That he is the Son of God. And then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus 
is the Christ. Saul's message was all about Jesus now. It wasn't about the law. It wasn't about righteousness. It wasn't about zealousness. It was about Jesus. I actually want to begin here next time. So I'm not going to go into great detail about these last few verses. But, but it is important to know how powerfully Jesus can change a life. Saul was ready to, to kill more Christians. Now he's ready to embrace them as brothers and sisters in Christ. There is a verse that Paul lived long before he wrote it. That verse is 2 Corinthians 5.17. We see him living it in these passages. But in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Saul was a new creature in Christ. Now, immediately, that doesn't mean two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, three months down the road. Immediately, Paul went to the synagogue. Immediately, Paul went and preached Christ. Immediately. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Only in the wisdom that God had already planted in in Saul's heart to know the Scriptures. Now his eyes are open to the Scriptures and he sees Jesus on every page of the Hebrew Scriptures. Because you'll see at the end, he says, that he proved that this Jesus is the Christ. We'll get into this a little bit more detail next time. But Ananias and Saul were both chosen vessels. One comes obediently and goes as quickly as he came. We don't see Ananias again. And he has only one spiritual highlight to his name. And what is that? God used him to open Saul's eyes. Great highlight. The other would go on to have a career filled with highlights. As the Apostle Paul, much of the rest of the book of Acts give us these highlights. God chooses the quiet vessel and He chooses the profound vessel. And yet both of them are of great value to Him. Ananias was as great of a value to to the Lord as Paul would be because God chose him. Just like he'll choose certain vessels, certain disciples here because we're all certain disciples. One among some or any that God could choose, will he choose you? Because you're of great value to him. You as a believer in Jesus Christ today are of great value to Him. And Paul writes about it, and I close with this in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Ananias was just a vessel to serve the Lord. Saul, becoming the Apostle Paul, will be just a vessel serving the Lord. One among many. I have to tell you that you are not insignificant if the Lord calls you to share the love of Christ with someone. There was a man many, many years ago named Edward Kimball. You probably don't even know 
his name. He was a Sunday school teacher in Boston. Late 1800s. And in that Sunday school class of his, he led a young man to the Lord. His name was D.L. Moody. Many of you may know who D.L. Moody was. He became a great evangelist. So this one man, who nobody really ever really remembers (laughs) or knows, was a vessel that God used to bring D.L. Moody to Christ. D.L. Moody would go on and preach, and in many, of his, in many of his crusades and in many of his campaigns in preaching the gospel, he would touch the hearts of many others, and, and eventually in England he would bring to light a, a revival that actually came back to the States, and, and, and someone from that particular revival preached a message that brought a man named Billy Sunday to Christ. Billy Sunday had been a baseball player. He came to Christ and began to preach the gospel. Billy Sunday had all kinds of campaigns of preaching the gospel, went on over all the way to North Carolina. Revival began, and then a man named Mordecai Ham, and some of you have never heard the name Mordecai Ham, but he was a preacher preaching in some of these revivals. Well, in... The audience that day when Mordecai Ham was preaching in North Carolina, there was a young man who came to Christ. His name was Billy Graham. So you see, a certain disciple named Edward Kimball, in obedience to the Lord, shared the gospel. And from that, millions of people have come to Christ. Thanks to one Sunday school teacher who... Nobody really knows. Are you that certain disciple? To tell someone about Jesus that may become the next great evangelist, the next D.L. Moody? Or maybe you're the next D.L. Moody. But you won't be the D.L. Moody. You'll be who you are being used of Christ. Let's pray.